Well, thanks very much, and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues who, I'm just not spending enough time with these people, so we need a couple more sessions together, I think. Um, but thanks very much for your interest and, and for the in invitation. Um, so let me just lay out a, a framework that I've approached tax reform, and here's the threshold question. Is our tax code working? If you think it's working, then we really don't have to talk about anything else. I think most people, including the majority of my constituents, are concerned and convinced that our tax code is basically an island that's dissolving underneath us. We're at a national inflection point as it relates to tax reform. We've got a country that looks at 70,000 pages and they're completely crushed by it. We've got the shine off the penny of the IRS, that is, they have no defenders out there. They had a reputation 20 years ago of being tough but fair. They don't deserve that reputation today, and they don't have that reputation today. And then the U.S. tax base is eroding, and it's eroding in a way in which it just is unsettling. I am of the opinion that tax reform is more likely than not in 2017. I'm also of the opinion that if we don't get this done in 2017, we will never get this done. And subsequent meetings and subsequent PowerPoints are going to be having lists of companies that are going to be, well, when did, uh, when did Walgreens leave? Oh, they left in 2018. When did McDonald's leave? They left. You take my point. We have a tax code that is pushing business overseas. So here's the threshold question. What do we do about that? The House is contemplated and is actively wrestling through a blueprint. We're trying to approach it in a very different way than the uh, Affordable Care Act was passed, trying to give this a lot of time and a lot of discussion points to have a lot of input, and we are. But when it all comes down to it, the, the question that we all, and I put not just my, my colleagues and I in this, but all of us, what's our tolerance for the status quo? My tolerance for the status quo is quite low. So I think we've got an opportunity here, and the blueprint, um, I'm, I'm, I've told my colleagues and I've told any number of other people, if you think people are gonna, everybody's gonna like you at the end of the tax reform process, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> Uh, but that is to say that we're elected to make decisions, we're elected to have, uh, to take a longer view on things. Let me make one final point just in this brief opening. I had an interaction outside of the Ways and Means uh, meeting room a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks ago with a CEO of a company that was concerned about our approach and concerned about border adjustment. I listened to his concerns and I reflected back and I said, listen, we don't want any of those terrible things to happen to you. And I walked through why I thought none of those terrible things were going to happen to him. But I said, isn't it interesting that the current tax code, in part, is complicit with creating a situation where all of your supply lines are overseas? Isn't it interesting to, you've got a position where you've got to do earnings calls every 13 weeks. I don't run a public company. I don't know what it's like to do that on a quarterly basis. But here's what I do know. Way down deep in your heart, you do not want your policymakers thinking about things on a 13-week horizon. You don't. What you really want me to do and my colleagues to do is to take a longer horizon. And if we take a longer horizon, that is to say, if we're doing the job, we're critics for only looking out two years. Can you imagine if we limit our discussion to 13 weeks? If we're looking out over two years and beyond in the next decades, We've got the capacity, this Congress and this White House has the capacity 
to be transformational in how we're doing our taxes. So I think that this is an incredibly dynamic season. I'm very upbeat about these possibilities. I'm working with smart, committed people on, on this process, and the value add is incredible. So um, let me just stop there and yield to uh, my friend from Cleveland, Mr. Renacy, but I'm really looking forward to continuing the dialogue this morning, and thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Again, thank you for having us. Uh, I think my staff told me I was coming to hear Peter talk about the bat. I didn't realize I was going to be up here. No. Anyhow, uh, it's an interesting conversation. No. Look, I agree with what Peter just said. We have to change something. We have to do something. As somebody who's been uh, a CPA who's practiced in front of the IRS for over 30 years, who understands how complicated the system is, we got to make a difference. And the one big thing is that companies are going to continue to leave if we don't do something. I've said that all along. But the number one reason people are leaving is because the rate's too high. I mean, if you think about it, our rate is too high, and we can't compete. So in the business world, which I was in for 30 years, I used to always say, you set your price. Once you set your price, you sell the vehicle, the motorcycle, whatever I was selling. You sell it at a price, and then you adjust everything else underneath it. And we're really going to have to look at how we can get this rate down. And I think the chairman and the committee is looking at that with these ideas, whether it's the bad and all the things, is how can we make the United States more competitive so companies aren't leaving? We've already started the process of the regulations because that's the other side of it. If we eliminate regulations and we reduce our rate, we can become very competitive and we can keep companies from leaving. But it's been 35 years, if you think about it, since we've looked at this code and we have to make sure we do it right at the same time because we can't, we're probably going to have a tough time waiting another 35 years. And it's a difficult process, as we know, when we did the camp draft. I mean, my first uh, volley into the Ways and Means was a camp draft, and I always chuckled because I remember, we do this, we spend all this time, and then the first person in my office says, you know what, I really like the camp draft, but I don't like this little section. Then the next person comes in and says, I really like the camp draft, I don't like this section. Well, by the time everybody had come through, they had totally ripped the camp draft apart. And, uh, and that's a problem, because you're not going to like what gets done. There's no doubt about it. When it's all said and done, people are not going to like it. But what I've learned is the more people that don't like it is probably the better job we've done. So we're going to have to continue to work toward this. But it's, it's just like Peter said. This is the time. We have a president um, that wants to get it done. We have a House and a Senate that wants to get it done. And we're going to have to slug through this. But this is our golden time, and I would also agree with Peter. We have to get something done in 2017. We can't wait. Because after that, guess what starts to happen? 2018 elections, Senate elections, and the world starts changing all over again. So I'm looking forward to working with my colleagues to get something done as well um, as soon as possible this year, which makes us competitive and make sure that businesses stay here. But also, not only business stay here, businesses that are outside of America want to come here and do business, and I think that's got to be the key. Thank you. Well, good morning, and thank you for allowing me to be part of this panel and to be with my colleagues working on this issue, which uh, uh, I reiterate a lot. Not everything's, everything's been said, but not everybody said it, so I will go through some of the, uh, some, some of the same points. Beginning, the, 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 pro, the question that was asked when we started this is, do we think this is a good 
thing for the uh, economy uh, and the American workers, including this, you know, the bat being part of it. And I looked at that question and sort of stepped back for a minute and said, okay, that's an end point of the discussion, but let's start with where are we right now with inversions and the non-competitive tax rate and the recognition of what has been like the, you know, for the last decade. And then you see this moment, which in one sense is, is, is rather exciting, where you have a combination of the policy wonk in the, uh, as the, um, uh, you know, heading the house, uh, but a guy who has really spent quite a bit of time looking at this from a, from the perspective of how can we make this whole system work, and then a president who is by nature a developer, and the thing that I see which is different, and this is the fundamental opportunity we have, is we have a guy in the White House who understands how you build things using capital. And in the past, we had a president who knew how to create programs and then run them by going back to business and saying you pay for them. And what a sea change it is if you add to it what Jim identified, which is the yoke of the regulatory oversight. If you can take those two combinations of things and unlock this tremendous potential you got to be excited about what we might be able to do. And then add to the idea that as a developer, you got a guy who doesn't like to pay taxes. Now, maybe that's a side issue we can discuss. <laughs> 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 but, but, but looking for a way to say, okay, how do you incent others to not be sitting on their capital and protecting it from IRS grabs that are you know, effectuated by big programs that are trying to get into it. But how do we get that $2 trillion that's overseas? And that's the thing to me that I always look at is you're not going back to taxpayers and saying, hey, we've got to find this money out of your pocket. It's already sitting there. And the thing that's great about it is that if we can unleash this capital and give people confidence and incentives to invest, you know, you're going to create the kind of an environment that's going to do the fundamental thing that we want to do, which is create jobs and growth in the international economy. Now, there's implications to that because when we lower the rates, you still have to be able to get to a point where you are able to, uh, you know, assure some revenue coming in. Where the dynamic scoring is going to get us a long way there, and it was a big accomplishment. But we must find a way to assure some of the other uh, revenues and. The, the bat is, is, is a creative way that deals with some of the other concerns that this president has identified, uh, recognizing that at the border uh, we may currently be at a disadvantage, uh, and is this a way to accent a lot of that manufacturing and new opportunity to come back to American shores to create jobs? Obviously, there are implications from that uh, that I think we've all got to be eyes wide open walking into. You know, and it starts with things like the WTO. What's the, you know, what's the, what's, what's the acceptance going to be? Uh, you know, on that, what, what, what can we expect from other countries and the potential retaliation if you walk down this, this path? Uh, and currency adjustment. You know, how is it going to work? Will it actually work? All sort of unknowns uh, in the process, but to some degree you can predict that. And are we willing to? Factor those in and, and take a step moving forward. And then my final observation is that, you know, who are the players and, and where are they going to be on it? I'm excited that our, that our committee is willing to take, uh, 
you know, a bold step, as the chairman often says, in full disclosure, you know, I represent maybe the district that has the highest concentration of refineries that rely on foreign-based oil. And so I myself have real issues and will continue to be looking to see an issue like that addressed. So I come at it like a lot of you who are sitting here saying, well, here's my problem. I need to figure out how I get my problem addressed, but I'm not surrendering the idea that overall we have this wonderful opportunity before us. And the tax reform is a comprehensive thing. We're like upfront expensing and others, that there's a lot of good stuff that's going to get capital working again. So I'm looking forward to just pressing on. Once it gets over to the Senate, we'll see what happens. <laughs> sentiment around this. Uh, the 86 Act, there was a big public push. Uh, even even when Chairman Camp rolled out his plan, he and Max Bogus went around the country and did a campaign. So far, it doesn't seem like taxes are dominating the town hall meetings that we've been seeing in the press. But I'm curious about the extent to which you've already heard public engagement or how your constituent conversations are going when you're out there. Most people are not sitting talking about tax reform, right? <laughs> That's an issue that's taking place here. But there are two things that they are talking about. One is they really feel that they've been left behind. And we've seen this remarkable growth in American opportunity, but it's really taking place at the upper tier. And there's a whole generation of voters who have not known that prosperity. And that's who Donald Trump tapped into, by the way, and Bernie Sanders. So what they're looking for is jobs and opportunity. And if you express to them, well, we're just going to double down on what we're doing here because it's working so well. They get glassy-eyed and they walk away. And this is an opportunity to express a vision that appeals to a lot of them. I've talked about infrastructure and the kinds of things where they see themselves participating in the potential of moving forward. And it's all about, am I going to get a piece of what's coming forward on this and, you know, jobs going to be created by virtue of doing this. You can look and see the capital investment that we can get to a place where you can reignite the economy. I would agree. Um, look, the town, nobody's talking about a bat. They don't even know what a bat is. A bat's going to hit them in the head eventually, and they're going to have to say, hey, this is what it is. But most people in the real world back home are talking about just what Pat said. They're, they're worried about you know, I, I, I and I was telling the story. At 24 years old, I started my own business. I had, was this glossy-eyed kid who said, this world will give me these opportunities. I don't think they see that anymore. They don't see that opportunity. They don't see that I can dive in, start my own business. And, and then they ask me, would you do it today? And I say, absolutely not. I wouldn't do it today. I wouldn't do what I did when I was 24. And that's what we have to change. We have to change that perspective. We have a president who brought people over because he told them he's going to let them have that opportunity again. And we have to make sure they realize we're listening to them. If they don't, if they feel we're not listening to them, the Republican Party will pay a price. And that's, I think, what they're looking for. They're waiting to see what we're going to do. But we all know that the only way to fix this thing is to simplify the tax. It gets back to what Peter said. We've got to simplify the tax code. We've got to bring rates down. And we've got to show them that we can turn this thing around but give them the opportunity to understand it and be part of it. And then we're going to win and continue to win and continue to win, just like Donald Trump continues to say. 
You know, uh, when I first got on the committee a few years ago and tax reform was in the air, I reached out to James Baker of James Baker fame and asked him, uh, uh, give me your opinion. You were in the middle of tax reform in 1986. Um, what's, what's your perspective? And he was very generous with his time. But at the end, he said something that, that I've, uh, I'll repeat today. He said, Peter, remember this. This was Ronald Reagan's number one domestic priority of his second term. He used everything he had as Ronald Reagan. We used everything we had at the White House. We used everything we had at the Treasury Department. We had powerful, bipartisan, bicameral sponsors on Capitol Hill, and it collapsed three times, and it almost didn't happen. Oh, next call, got to run, click. Uh, so my point is, there's going to be an ebb and a flow to this. You know, the, the, the emotions are going to be up and down, and the White House is this, and the Senate is that, and the House is thising and thatting. And, you know, it is all going to be very, very interesting. And at some point, we're going to have to come together and make a decision. And so your interest here is a very good thing, and it's heartening for us. And I just want to let you know, I know I speak on behalf of all of our members, um, thank you, thanks for the input, and continue to engage um, all of us on these things, because we think when it all comes down to it, we're all of one mind, whether we have different approaches uh, on, on process, we're all of one mind, and that we want to make the U.S. the most competitive tax jurisdiction in the world, and the most attractive place. So thank you, Rip on. thank you, Jim, for your hospitality. You guys, thank you so much for your